There's a quote by Rumi that says, you've seen my descent, now watch my rising. As I move into part two of the story, I want to share with you that everything that came after the brutal abduction and victimization was all a difficult journey. Learned how human beings can hurt one another and not care. But every now and then, even bright light looks dim from a certain perspective. It truly depends on where we're standing. I was faced with this incredible situation to endure, and then the system meant to find resolution and reconciliation I had to walk through. The scales of justice that were so far out of balance weren't even allowing me to show up in the courtroom and make a statement. There were not rights that were afforded to victims of crime, and I set out to change that. During that time, there was an effort across the country to really look at what was happening to victims of crime in the criminal justice system, and I quickly joined that effort. It was a catharsis, a way for me to process, a way for me to use the reality of what I had gone through and turn it for good. To me, it meant that I somehow was winning. What they did to me could not steal the light that was inside. I think of light as the emotions. There's a certain amount of courage tucked away in fear, joy, hope, and even sorrow. And when we're forced to live in it or walk through a tragedy, a question is raised. Do I have enough courage to allow this to become a triumph? And by God, I set out to try. I didn't realize at the time that I was launching a lifelong career, but the hope of my heart was that no one would have to experience the difficult time in the criminal justice system as I did ever again. One of the challenges with that, there were four offenders and three different jurisdictions. Jurisdiction is the word that they count where the offense occurred. And it's important that each jurisdiction handled and prosecuted the crimes that occurred in that area on their own. For me, that meant going through three different processes, with each of the offenders handling separately. It was going to be quite a ride. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the words preliminary hearing, arraignment. I had never even really talked to a police officer before that day. What faces people in the aftermath of a trauma can really hurt or really help. And sometimes it's both. It's a little dance, a back and forth. And that's what I found. I came to call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. There was some support in one of the counties. They had an advocate and I so appreciated and loved the work that she was doing. She kept me and my family informed and aware of what was happening, even when the calls she had to make to me were difficult. Like the time she had to call and say that a trial that had been set that we were waiting for had been continued and it wouldn't be for several more months. She called to tell me when they accepted a plea bargain or when they said no and they wanted to take it to trial. The relationship that I found with that advocate was one of inspiration. It was similar to the one that I had felt from the law enforcement response and that particular deputy who helped me so much that day. You know, one of the things that we forget is our system workers take these jobs because they want to help and impact lives. We expect perfection when, and forget that they're only human. When we look at the intention behind the actions, it's easy to see that the hope is there. They want to help us through this. And I wanted to join that effort. I set out to go through this process and all the while learning all I could about what it was like to change systems, change laws, change policies. And I found myself with a mission. As I said before, 
Rumi, in a quote so eloquently, describes, Now you've seen my descent. Watch my rising. An older woman opened the door. Brave Embrace is a true crime podcast where tragedies and triumph collide. In each episode, I'll show stories from the victim's point of view. Let's embrace the brave it takes to step into healing. I'm Kim Case, and this is the Brave Embrace podcast. The woman looked at me with disbelief. Where did I come from? What had happened to me? She didn't hesitate, though. She quickly invited me in. I wasn't dressed, and she wrapped a house coat around me. She drew me into the kitchen, invited me to sit. I started sobbing. I was hysterical. She wanted to call 911. I said, no, I want to call my mom. Phone rang. She answered, and all I could do was scream. I was crying. The woman grabbed the phone, explained to my mom that I was there for help and that she needed to come. Then she called the police. You know, I didn't expect to have such a reaction when they walked in. Something about the sound of the handcuffs clanking on their belt. It was scary to me and it triggered the thought in my mind of them slamming the handcuffs shut on my wrist. I had never really been around the police and they began asking me a lot of questions. I found myself stunned. I found myself feeling loyal to those that had captured me. There's a phenomenon used to be called Stockholm Syndrome. Now it's called trauma bonding, but basically it's where in those adverse situations when your life is at risk and you find yourself somehow bonding to someone who is threatening you, it's it's something that's done to survive and it's a way for your mind and your body to put some sort of order around this experience that's occurring. The questions were coming fast. I felt myself to be confused. I also felt loyal to those that had held me captive. It's the strangest phenomenon, but I felt loyal to the fact that I had said that I wouldn't tell if I got away, and I found myself telling the police officers that the car was red when, in fact, the car was blue, and I told them it went one way and it went the other. And you might ask, why in the world would you do that when it was a stranger kidnapping and you there was no blame. It was just something about the pressure of the police and the questions. And I really was confused and trauma kicked in and I just didn't know what to do or say. Finally, though, the ambulance arrived and they began the medical treatment on the wounds and the injuries from the four and also the bites and scratches from the barn. They stabilized me there at the scene and then took me into the police station to ask more questions. This is a part of the process that is so difficult because you have to recount in, in high detail And you have to talk about things that are embarrassing and say words that no one likes to say in front of another. Yet here I found myself in an office. Fortunately, this particular law enforcement agency, the sheriff's office, had sent their detective to some training. And I found myself with some specialized people that had skill in asking questions around this type of abuse. I'll never forget the the female deputy that said, I'm here with you. We'll get through this together. This is not your fault. It immediately let my barriers down, and I spent hours giving information and answering questions. After that grueling time, it was off to the hospital for the rape exam. During this exam, it's the most inhumane situation as they pull hair from every section of your body. 
it's an internal and external exam looking for forensic evidence DNA. They categorize and catalog every scrape, cut, burn, bruise, spot. I remember it being so difficult as the doctor came in and said, well, tell me what they did to you. I've used that line many times to reflect how inhumane that process is and how the victim, especially during those times, was just looked at as the witness. They were just a piece of evidence. The system isn't friendly to give you the dignity and respect. I found myself, after those hours in giving my statements, about to collapse, which I did later, back at my parents' home. The days following held all kinds of meetings with different law enforcement agencies, medical appointments. It was a difficult process trying to understand and at the same time feeling so grateful and at the same time feeling so afraid. The offender that I was handcuffed to and had escaped from woke up realizing I was gone. We would later learn that he went to the creek area where they had held me and used a weapon to get the handcuffs off and then went walking down one of the country roads. This was a time before social media and 24-hour news cycle. No one even knew I was gone. Yet someone saw him walking down the road and it seemed suspicious. So they called it in. And sure enough, law enforcement was able to go and arrest him. And as a matter of fact, he was at the sheriff's office when they brought me in. I saw him through the slightly open blinds that hung in a special office. And again, I about collapsed. They didn't mean for me to have this chance encounter. It's just the way that it happened. After they questioned him, he gave the names of the other offenders and they were able to go arrest the driver, Leroy Ross, at his place of employment. He had taken the car gone down, picked up his wife from work, and then he had gone to work, never giving me a second thought. He's still in prison. There's been a number of parole hearings on him, but I don't feel like he has any remorse. I think that as a matter of fact, he still feels like somehow it was my fault. The other two, Thornburg and Lutz, stole the car from his work and went on a cross-country rampage. They were gone for days and finally during a routine traffic stop, were found in Florida. I'll never forget the day my dad shared that he drove to that little town in Florida to thank those officers for doing their job that day. They were able to give me the closure of going through the system and having these four men be accountable. They were finally arrested and extradited back to Missouri, and it would begin the longest battle of my life. Never having gone through the criminal justice system, I had no idea what lay before me. But the thing I know is when you're accused of a crime, you have a variety of rights afforded to you by the system and you're innocent until proven guilty. When you're a victim of a crime, it's not the same situation. My brave was discovered in the dark of night when four strangers kidnapped me from my driveway. After nearly 16 hours, I fought my way to freedom and I broke out of the handcuffs that bound me. As I ran into the wilderness, I had no idea what lay in front of me. Even though I escaped and found respite in the compassionate arms of those that were rescuing me, I didn't know that I would be facing the criminal justice system for years to come. The scales of justice were out of balance, and at that time, there were efforts across the nation to balance those scales of justice, offer rights for victims, give them a voice, help them be more than just a witness. 
Our goal with this podcast is to transform the struggles into strength, the tragedies into triumphs, and victimizations into victories. We will talk about all things brave. I've made it my mission to prove that our story can be written at any time. In a world where so much hurt, pain, and loss exists, many of us are hope lost. It's hard to believe that we can overcome. But at the moment of the hope loss colliding with a brave embrace, all things can be ignited. There is power to overcome. Join me as we talk about all things brave.